Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Monday. It's President's Day. Gary Jeff Walker in for Bill Cunningham. Once again on 700 WLW. Speaking of President's Day, Friday, of course, the president rolled out an executive order and a declaration of a national emergency which was instantly met with lawsuits by the ACLU and Democrats and others who do not believe that there is a crisis on our southern border. Well, that could be debated all day long, but it doesn't address the real problem of illegal immigration in this country because it's a multifaceted thing, in my view. Yes, we do need a secure border. Yes, we do need enforcement of that border and enforcement of our laws. But what about our laws need to be changed? It's been a long time since we've had serious immigration reform. And if you ask, I think if you ask 90% of Americans, they would say they are for immigration. However, they are not for illegal immigration. Raul Manchanda is an uh, immigration lawyer. Immigration attorney specializing in immigration law, civil rights, criminal defense, family law for more than 15 years. His internationally recognized law firm has been a formidable presence in federal and state criminal, civil, international, and immigration courts throughout the country. And offer, uh, he offers uh, lectures on cutting-edge issues of immigration law, deportation, removal, defense litigation, and he's been everywhere. He's been, appeared on international law and criminal defense expert, uh, major media television programs, and, you know, the... The alphabet list. He's, he's been everywhere. And now he finally lands at this piece of the alphabet, alphabet, WLW, to join us this afternoon for a conversation about immigration, immigration laws, and the like. Good afternoon, good afternoon, Mr. Manchanda. How are you? Good, sir. How are you doing today? Well, other than getting my tongue to work, I'm fine. This, <laughs> it's, the first, <laughs> it's the first break of the day. Uh, sure. To this point, I've only said... Hello, and talk to my producer, Matt Steinman, my wife, and my cat. So I'm still learning how to speak again. <laughs> but anyway, no, <laughs> on that subject, uh, number one, what interested you in the law in the first place? Well, you know, I, it's funny. I, I have a hard time getting motivated for anything. I actually started out, uh, my first incarnation was going to be a doctor. And I spent a huge part of my life studying the sciences, applied sciences, biology, microbiology, chemistry, physics, and all that didn't really, you know, kind of do it for me. I was more interested in, like, you know, things that kind of motivated me. And, you know, I just I felt I felt the law was an area of change. I could kind of make a difference. You know, truth is asymptotical, you know, and light is sort of asymptotical. You kind of keep going forward. I didn't really like the empirical sciences very much. It was too exact. And I liked the law because I liked the argument. I liked kind of working with, you know, the other side to sort of come up with compromises and sort of like trying to, you know, figure out a way, you know, and kind of get through the thicket of life. And so it kind of appealed to me more. It was more challenging, I think, intellectually, uh, the law, believe it or not, than the sciences were to me. Uh, so that's kind of where we are now. And it's, it's really funny because organically I've changed uh, certain areas. I've developed certain areas of the law based on things that interest me. And this is definitely one of those issues that's kind of a hot-button issue these days. So, yeah, yeah why, <laughs> why the focus on immigration law specifically? 
Well, you know, I think that's 80% of my practice. Like you said earlier, I do also uh, federal state criminal defense. I do also family law. Uh, I do a smattering of men's rights laws and family law in this country as well, international law. Um, immigration is appealing to me because I think that this country <clears throat> owes a great debt to immigrants, no question about it, and the world is globalizing. That's, that's also very clear, uh, whether we like it or not. Uh, you know, nationalism versus globalism seems to be the topic of today. And on, on, on some levels, both sides are correct, and both sides are incorrect. And it really is just about getting to that, you know, perfect balance. And I think the wall issue is, is a great example of why, at this stage, we are, you know, sort of struggling with this issue in terms of, you know, the wall or not the wall. You know, there's race issues come into play, drug issues come into play, you know, national security issues, the national emergency comes into play. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on right now. And I think it's uh, pretty seminal at this point in time. Well, it's it's not just the wall or barriers or fences, because it has been found in certain places along our southern border. They actually do cut down on crime, and they do cut down on the Absolutely. amount of illegals coming, illegal immigrants coming to this country. And people are having a hard time distinguishing between immigrants and illegal immigrants. And there is a difference, is there not? Absolutely correct. And that's, that's a huge uh, point of contention. I mean, you know, immigration is good provided that they come in legally, uh, and there's a need for them, and, you know, we need, we need the, uh, the immigration. Uh, you know, it's superfluous if we have, you know, the refuse of certain societies coming here to commit more problems. I mean, you know, we really have to be, you know, very careful in terms of who we let into the country. That's for sure. Uh, you know, but, but it's also very important that we, you know, understand that, you know, we live in a globalized society and people do tend to move around. And America is the bastion of freedom as well. So we've got to remember who we are as Americans. Uh, without, you know, we don't want to sacrifice who we are and our souls, but at the same time we don't want to just let the doors open and, and lose our borders either, the integrity of our borders. So it's a very, very tough uh, line to cross. I think that uh, President Trump is doing a great job putting this stuff forward in terms of you know, the issues at hand. Uh, you know, so it's, it's interesting. He's from New York City. You know, he, that, that's the hotbed of immigration. Yeah. He's also a Republican. So he's got a very interesting perspective, I think, for the first time in, in modern history, uh, sort of a cosmopolitan, urban, sort of savvy, successful businessman, you know, who's very comfortable with immigration and immigrants. But at the same time, he represents a party that does have, you know, certain, you know, concerns, uh, you know, and that they need to be addressed. So he's, I think he's a great lightning rod. I think he's a great mediator, and I think he's a great communicator. I think, like, you know, I think he knows what he's talking about. He has access to data, you know, that we don't have. American people may or may not have, for example, intelligence data that, you know, he's acting on. I think he's trying to do the best thing he can for the American people. So do you agree country. Do you agree that in, in places along our southern border, a barrier makes sense? And will, so look, and know, will, and yeah. will deter some of the illegal caravans that are attempting to cross right now? Yeah, you know, the thing that, I think there's two issues, and I've talked about in other stations and other uh, programs, there's two issues that really concern me. Uh, one is the massive amount of drugs coming to the country. Uh, the fentanyl, you know, the uh, you know the opium, the heroin, the cocaine. This is a really big problem in the United States. Very, very big problem. Affluent society, it's really the millennial younger generation that falls victim to this stuff and people that are addicted to drugs. I think that's a massive, massive problem unto itself. And I think that's a huge reason for why we would need that kind of a border situation. Now, the danger all is, 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 is making it, you know, into a racial issue as well or an ethnic issue. Like the caravans, I think, are very strange how they have five, 6,000 migrants coming in at one time. That's very strange. Somebody's definitely orchestrating that. Yeah. You don't get 5,000 people, you know, traveling three or 4,000 miles 
uh, you know, without some sort of uh, leader, you know, or at least a set of leaders. So that looks to me like an invasion. I mean, you know, a couple people here and there jump in the fence, you know, that, that happens, right? That, that's, been, that's been going on since, what, the 60s, 70s. But, you know, a 5,000 moving steadily towards the border, uh, that seems like a political statement at the very least. Uh, and, and an invasion at the worst. So that's really strange. Yeah, like, you, you, know, can, you, can under, you can understand why people perceive it as an invasion, because I oh, absolutely yeah, do. Yeah. When, when, absolutely. when the, numbers, the numbers are that large. Yes, sir, absolutely. Even law enforcement, federal, state, and local law enforcement, is looking at it like they're, you know, they're changing colors. I mean, they don't even know how to deal with it. I mean, you got a couple guys that have the border control, but you got the local towns, a couple sheriffs here and there, three or four guys, thinking there's 5,000 people coming at us. You know, well, you know, that's not just the populace. That's law enforcement, federal, state, and local who are getting nervous. So, yeah, I mean, if, if the federal, state, and local law enforcement is thinking this is, you know, crazy, this is crazy than any riot they've ever experienced or trained to deal with, that's in 5,000 people. You know, that, that's a big deal. And the mayor may not be armed. The mayor may not be have, you know, have physical weapons, but it's still a physical mass influx. Uh, analogous to, you know, the Roman borders when sure. you had the Visigoths, you know, the barbaric Visigoths. I mean, I don't want to compare it to that, but I'm just saying that when you have borders, you have 5,000 people. That's, that's an army. Absolutely. At least a good regiment. That's a, that's a regiment, absolutely. I was going to say that. So, you know, like I said, it's very, you know, it's a very slippery slope, but definitely you got to look at the orchestrators as well. Who's feeding them? Who's organizing it? Who's pointing them in the right direction, finding roadmaps, how to navigate? And also, why is it, you know, Mexico do it. They deport more people than we do, but it's almost like they're complicit in this because they could stop them right away as well. You know, there's a million checkpoints, uh, so they're not doing anything. So it seems to be like a political statement, uh, you know, and sort of see, see what we're doing here, that kind of thing. Well, there, um, there is, there is know. with these great waves of people trying to get into our country, there is a real humanitarian crisis when it comes to unaccompanied children when it comes to the human trafficking and sex trafficking that we know is going on, that these people mm-hmm. are being abused and being forced into this country by their uh, their captors. And, I mean, there's a series. This is not just about protecting America's sovereignty or its borders. It's about protecting the people who are trying to get in, too, isn't it not? Is it not? Absolutely. I mean, this is exploitation from A to Z. You know, uh, it, it really is exploitation all the way over there. These people are being used for political purposes for some, some reason. I mean, they're, they're, you know, you got to sympathize with the children involved in these kinds of situations. They have no uh, say in any of this, and it's, it's tragic. Um, you know, we are a country of immigrants, but, you know, we also have, you know, we can't have, to have that abuse. Uh, and I think that these people are, you know, are being exploited not by Americans, but by the, you know, political organizers of this entire uh, situation. We're talking to uh, when they get to the border, you know. Talking so, to Raul Manchanda. Uh, New York-based immigration attorney, also practices family law and criminal defense and the like. Uh, Raul, uh, how, how do you come down on the DACA issue? The, the kids who were brought here, uh, you know, uh, uh, not of their own volition, and they're here in this country. Many of them have been here for 18, 20 years, and uh, this is the only life they know. How, how would you, as an immigration attorney, how would you view what we should do with the, uh, the, the dreamers, so-called? That's a great question. That, that's a very different issue than what we're facing now in terms of the caravan and stuff. Uh, the, the multitude of these people have been here for dec- some of them decades, you know, and they, they've assimilated, they've become Americans. Uh, the vast majority of them are not criminal. You, you can't even be a criminal. You can't have been arrested or anything like that to be in, in, eligible for the DACA program. 
None of these people are in school. That's a thornier issue. That's a humanitarian issue. They're here, and there's not even that many of them, to be honest with you, to, to be able to, to sort of melt them into society. I do think they need to get in line, though, however. They shouldn't get in front of people that have lawfully immigrated to the U.S., uh, but I think they should be given, you know, uh, you know, sort of a merit system. You know, what are you achieving? How are you doing? You know, uh, and sort of, sort of gradually bring them in as Americans. Uh, they should. I don't think they should be deported or removed. They don't. The vast majority don't even know their own countries. You know, of origin. They couldn't even you know, survive there anyway. They don't speak the language. They don't know the culture. They've adopted, you know, the American sort of way of life. And so that that's a situation that, unfortunately, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, and we, we, we probably should try to uh, do what we can to make them into Americans. Um, but it, just, it should be slow and gradual. It shouldn't be like, you know, front of the line, you know, that kind of thing. But they should be on the right track in terms of getting there. Uh, but it is different than the caravan. That's just a shock, shock uh, uh, situation that's happening with that. Yeah, so speaking, of, speaking of getting in line, <laughs> Raul, sir, um, sir. don't you think a big solution to our immigration uh, outside of – you know, maybe providing more immigration judges, getting money for those to, you know, to sort through these cases quicker, you know, so we don't have people in detention centers and we don't have to worry about catch and release. You know, they see the attorney, they see the judge, their case is decided, and based on the decision, they're either allowed in with a, some kind of a visa or they're, they're sent back to their own country. Outside of that, you talked about getting in line. What should we do about streamlining our immigration laws so it doesn't take so damn long? You deal with this all the time with your clients, I'm, I'm certain. Are, sure. are, I mean, are there changes yeah. you'd like to see in the law? Well, there's no question about it. I mean, the, the immigration judicial system is definitely overwhelmed and underpaid. I mean, you've got all around the country, you've got judges flying in to different jurisdictions. Yeah. They're not even sitting judges. They'll, they'll fly them in from Colorado or from Texas or whatever the case may be. You know, and uh, it, it's really just a crazy thing where you got judges flying in from around the country to adjudicate cases uh, rather than just sitting at a bench. You know, you think about a judge being sedentary, sitting on a bench. Uh, you know, but these guys are being flown in to adjudicate cases. So that's, that's definitely something that may need more budgeting and may need more money. Um, so, you know, from my experience, I think a lot of these judges, immigration judges, are very, very overworked and, un- and underpaid, and that really needs to be augmented and increased. Uh, if you want some you know, serious adjudication. It also benefits the, the immigrants as well. They don't want to be languishing, waiting years and years to find out they're going to be deported. Get it done, you know? Get it done, you know? Finish it up and, and do, do the backlog. But if we're going to spend money, spend some money on hiring more uh, immigration judges to adjudicate these cases. Because right yeah. now, each one of them has you know, tens of thousands of cases. I mean, how many thousands of cases do each one have? That's just ridiculous. And in terms of justice, how can you even look at a case fact and the pattern and the long history of somebody's life, you know, if, you, if you're kind of zipping through them, like 40, 50, 60 a day, 100 a day, 200 a day, you know what I mean? That's just ridiculous. I agree. So that's a problem as well. Yeah. Well, uh, the other question. I- okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. 
At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I had, as an immigration attorney, you, you handle these cases for people who are trying to do it the right way. Uh, what is the sentiment among some of your clients, while not getting into specifics, about people who are, are trying to uh, skip line? I mean, that's got to be infuriating to them. Well, you know, it is, sir. And I, I got to say that, you know, it's, 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 I, like I said, I practice different areas of law, family law, criminal law. I, and, and immigration is very interesting in that the hearing dates are sometimes a year or two or three mm-hmm. apart. That's Can you right. imagine? I mean, you know, if, if that happened in criminal court or family court, People will be up in arms, you know, because they're U.S. citizens. They'd be like, you know, picketing outside the courthouse. Like, this is like even a violation of the Constitution, the Sixth Amendment, right to a speedy trial, that kind of thing. But it kind of goes by the wayside in the immigration courts. Could you just imagine two, three years per hearing? And in the meantime, you know, some of these people don't have work authorization, so they're forced to feed their families or themselves. They're forced to pick a, a criminal lifestyle, if you think about it. If I can't work legally and i got a few, you know, two babies at home, you know, I'm more, even if I'm a law-abiding citizen, I'm more apt to rob a bread store, you know, uh, you know, gas station. You know what I mean? It's sure. just, you got to do what you got to do, and it creates a criminal class as well. People don't even think about that. So people that are coming here that would never even think to commit a criminal act or anything like that are now being forced to, you know, engage in activities that are antithetical to the United States and its sovereignty its national security. So I think it's just a stupid, stupid thing. Well, and, and one uh, side one so, side calls likes to call them undocumented uh, workers, um, sure. in many cases, that's not true. They have documents. They're just not their own. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> about that's criminal activity. That's a criminal class that you're creating as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. So they, they, our system uh, is essentially creating a criminal class because these people buy just, just by virtue of working or, or you know, uh, with, either without papers or with somebody else's papers, is creating an underclass, a criminal underclass that, you know, again, once you cross one line, it's very easy to cross another line, if you know what I mean. It's just, it is what it is. Once you kind of go that route and you realize that you're, you know, you could be susceptible to arrest any time. And a lot of these people are arrested during raids and things like that. They're also victims of crime a lot because, you know, people think that, okay, you know, he's undocumented. What is he going to do if I rob the guy or if I steal from the guy? You know what sure. I mean? Or, you know, or, you know, some kind of crime. So they're, 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 they're always, you know, living lives of quiet desperation, as Pink Floyd once talked about. You know, so this is something where we need to hire a lot more immigration judges adjudicate these cases, take care of it, and get, get down to business. It's really a national security issue. It's really an emergency issue, I think, that's facing our, our, our generation. It really is. Well, and, and, we, and I think Trump's the guy to do it. You know, Trump really is the guy to do it. So, so I mean, you believe, you believe that uh, there is a national emergency going on with illegals trying to enter our country through our southern border, and the president has made the right move. The thing is, uh, this this is not going to get the wall or barrier built any faster because it's going to go through all these court challenges. You know, they said that that at the earliest, if this winds up at the Supreme Court's door, it won't be until June of 2020, just months before the next election. The the Democrats are challenging everything. People forget that Obama had 13 national emergency declarations. Uh Uh-huh. You know, and, you know, nobody challenged it on the Republican side, as as, as far as I can recall. No. The other issue is that... um, you know, we're hemorrhaging. We're hemorrhaging right now. I mean, the drug problem is out of control in this country. Uh, you know, the, 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 the illegal immigration is not a compassionate system for, for the immigrants. I mean, they're, 
suffering. You know, they, you know. So it, 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 we're hemorrhaging right now. It is a national emergency. It is a national issue. Uh, you know, the, the the thing is, like I'm concerned about is that you know. People don't talk about Canada as well. You know, I, I don't know what the data is about Canada in terms of, you know, the drug problem coming in. I, I haven't seen the empirical data. But if it's anything close to the Mexican uh, situation, I don't know if it is. But people need to think about that, too. But people aren't talking about the Canadian issue either. That might be another problem. I think Mexico feels affronted. I feel, I feel South America feels affronted by what's going on. But, uh, you know, I haven't seen the data if there's a massive drug problem coming in. I have heard stories in my caseload where there is a, a drug problem from Canada. What, what's to stop... Uh, you know, them circumventing the the border in Mexico, kind of thing, and going through Canada. Well, I think I think the biggest flatline border, the biggest yeah. drug problem from Canada, and we have the ads running are uh, cheaper Viagra. Raul Machenda, thank you so much for your time, sir. It's a pleasure to talk. You, I hope sir. we get the chance again soon. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Raul Machenda, immigration attorney out of New York on the Bill Cunningham Show. Gary Jeff back after a break on seven hundred WLW. Hey. Gary Jeff in for Bill Cunningham on this Monday, President's Day, February 18th, 2019. At the top of the hour, we have an author who has written a book on Abraham Lincoln. I thought it was appropriate. We'll get to that here in a little while. Your phone call is always welcome, 513-749-7000, If you have any, any reaction at all to the immigration attorney, it was very pro-Trump. It kind of surprised me. I very knew very little about Raul Manchinda until we got a chance to sit down and talk uh, last half hour. But any reaction to what he's, and he's pro-Trump. He thought the president was doing an excellent job in addressing it uh, appropriately while there's demonstrations in 250 cities, including Cincinnati today, uh, apparently people who had President's Day off, to come and protest against the president's declaration of a national emergency on Friday and all the ensuing and expected infighting that was going to go on as a result. The ACLU, Nancy Pelosi, and at all, you know who the players are. But what I wanted to ask you is, <clears throat> do you think that there is a better way, <clears throat> and the president has declared it's, it's not just a barrier or a wall or whatever you want to call it. We get lost in all the semantics of it because it's Trump. But... The other issues that we got into, more immigration judges, we need to be spending money to process these cases properly and to do it more efficiently. He said in in many cases, people are trying to go through immigration legally in this country, which he handles. There's a hearing, and then two years later or three years later, there's another hearing. How the hell does that help us figure this out? And Andaka, as he said, while... These people are here illegally. This is the only country they've ever known in many cases. What do you do about them? What do you do about the 20, 25 million, who knows how many people are here living illegally in this country, overstayed their visas, whatever. And then there's the issue of violent crime and drugs and sex trafficking and human trafficking that we know is going on through a porous southern border. How do you fix those issues? This is Rob. Hello, Rob. How how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I want to fix the illegal immigration problem by making it illegal for businesses in America to do business with an illegal alien. We card and ID for cigarette sales, for beer sales. Why not for citizenship? Well, I I agree. We have E-Verify, but apparently they're getting around that. 
with fake, fake Social Security numbers and uh, identity fraud, which is the second crime they've committed in the country. And as uh, Raul mentioned, it, it starts them on a life, a pattern of crime. And uh, the first thing they do is, it, you know, identity fraud or steal somebody's documents so they can get access to whether it's health care, jobs, or doing commerce in this country. So, I mean, I think that's a very good idea. We already supposedly have it, but they are getting around it by committing a fraud on the system. That's their second crime. And as Raul mentioned, that's kind of like the gateway meat to other criminal activity, just to feed their families and the like, because they can't get jobs, as they're trying to go through the process legally. So, I mean, it's a very complex issue to me. Yes, yes, I agree. It's a very complex issue. But we're punishing the illegals who have proven that they have nothing to lose. They won't show up for court. Right. They don't do things the right way. They they become what they abhor. They don't want to do these illegal things to start with. They just want to come here and work. What I'm saying is if we put the roadblocks up in be- before them that they know that they can't use their money anywhere in the United States, and we start punishing businesses who do business with an illegal alien to begin with, well, I could go to America only if I had my green card and do things the right way to begin with. Well, I don't know if you heard the president speak about a month back, month and a half back, at the Farm Bureau meeting. And he talked to the farmers and said, yes, I want to make it easier for you to import workers and then send them back home when the job is done. And that, that's gone on for years, the migrant worker thing, where they'd get a work visa and not just stay in this country, but to once the job was done, they'd go back home, they'd take their money and their families back home. And then when the season was in again, they'd be brought back. And th- that did work very well for a long time, but then... You know, the system got distorted. As you said, people overstayed their visas and just refused to go back home. And part of it is the social safety net we have in this country that maybe is not available in Honduras or El Salvador or any of these other countries that uh, people are fleeing. You know, they want to take advantage of the freebies that we've become accustomed to in America. And the, the Socialist Democrats are trying to push even more down the throats of hardworking Americans and uh, basically eradicating the so-called American dream, especially for the middle class. Right. Right. You're right. But I think every sponsorship should go with a shoestring, that this is Raul, this is his green card, his six months are up, and I'm turning him back to the authorities. What you do with him from there is your business. Now, if XYZ Corp wants to pick up Raul, and put him to work for the next six months until I need him again, okay. Or if Raul wants to stay on a scholarship visa to go to school, that's Raul's business between the, the Raul and the feds. You know, I mean, we need to tie things together the way they, they should be, not, not, not put distance in between. Yeah, I agree. Good call. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate the phone call. There's another topic I haven't talked about much since the story broke, I guess, uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. The case in Chicago with the Empire, uh, not even star, but a member of the cast of Empire. And by the way, Fox and the cast of Empire sticking behind Jesse Smollett. I didn't talk about it much because it smacked a publicity stunt the second I heard the story. And there were things that couldn't be proven. And then the police got uh, to investigating 
Jesse Smollett's allegation that two men attacked him. Uh, one saying, this is MAGA country, a racial epithet. Having to be two Nigerian brothers, one of which uh, Jesse Smollett knew from the show Empire. He was a prisoner on the show in like season two. And then his brother, Nigerian, by the way, they're both black. All three are black. So it's not a, a really a racial issue. But Jesse Smollett wasn't forthcoming in his first reporting of this so-called crime, this mugging, this attack in Chicago. And then they brought in the two Nigerian brothers because they had surveillance camera video and they, they bring them in and they question them. And uh, well, the whole trajectory of the investigation has changed. If Jesse Smollett is found to have filed a false report on this, he could face three years in prison. Was this a ratings boost for the show he's on, Empire? Was it strictly a publicity stunt to keep his character on that show? And it goes back to everybody wants to be famous. Andy Warhol said in the future, everybody be, be famous for what? 15 minutes or 15 seconds or whatever it is. And it, it plays into the whole social media Kardashian thing. Not that Kardashians are claiming that they've been attacked falsely on their Instagram or Twitter accounts and social media or reporting things to the police. But there is this want, there is this need, especially in America in 2019, to make sure people know who you are. And for whatever agenda you might have, to make sure they know you're a social justice warrior. You're fighting the good fight by pointing out divisions that do occur in this country, but not necessarily pertaining to you. This need to be constantly famous, this need to be constantly recognized. And if you're in that business, you know, publicity is never a bad thing, unless you wind up in jail for filing a false report. And it's, it's hard for me to talk about people wanting attention when I have a job that puts me on a public platform on almost a daily basis. But I don't do it for the recognition. I, I got that years ago. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I got the recognition. I'm not doing it to stick my face out in the crowd and go, look at me. Look how important I am. I do it because, well, it's a paycheck, number one. Number two, it's something that I'm, I, I guess I've fooled enough people to continue to be employed in this business. So, yeah, when, when people like me talk about people just needing attention, it sounds kind of hollow. But look around everywhere. Everybody's got, a, everybody's got a camera on their mobile device. Everybody, everybody's got... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. 
Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Video, everybody's audio. Uh, you can't speak or do anything in a crowd of people that could be perceived to be inflammatory or could be perceived to be just attention-seeking without getting noticed. And then it's shared and it's liked and it goes viral and everybody's talking about you for at least a day until the next idiot comes along that wants attention. But if the Jesse Smollett thing is all about a publicity stunt, to include that in the national narrative on race and on politics just just for a ratings boost or just to stay on cast of an empire, that sucks. We've gotten to the place where people are using sometimes false narratives to get attention for themselves, not to solve any great social ill, but just so they'll be noticed, they'll be recognized. It's a very dangerous place, I think, right now in America. 513-749-7000, is the uh, watch line number. And any comments on any of this, I would welcome as well. At 2 o'clock today, Jason Williams from the Cincinnati Inquirer Politics Extra column will be handicapping the so far announced field for 2020 of Democrat hopefuls for the presidency of the United States of America. The Kamala Harris's, the Elizabeth Warren's, and the people you may not have heard that much about. We've got, what, 20 so far or close to it? Michael on the telephone. Hello, Michael. I just want to reiterate just what you said a minute ago. Um, <clears throat> the attorney was very pro-Trump, and that's all he said all along is come in the right way. Come through yeah. the front door, not the back door. And, and, and this no. go ahead, go ahead. I'm a staunch Republican. I had no problem with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm a small business owner in Circleville, and and uh, um, I was trying to hire some of the uh, – there, there's like a farm behind us. Yeah. And I was trying to hire some of the folks that was working back there away from the farmer uh, because they are hard workers. And they said, well, we can only come in. And he was, he was explaining it to me um, uh, the, that they could only come in for so many months at a time. So uh, – let me tell you, I, I wrap my arms around it. Let them come in, but come through the front door. Yeah. Oh, and absolutely. And this is the thing, again, this disconnect when we talk about immigration and we're a country of immigrants and the like. Yes, we are. We absolutely are. But there is a distinct difference between people coming in illegally and then breaking more laws once they're here and people who are just hardworking immigrants who just want a better life for themselves and their families. And uh, but but it's always lost. It's always lost the, the 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 distinction between illegal and immigration. There's a vast gap there between those two. They're not the same subject. And, and, and I want to point something out too. Just I mean, like I said, my my office overlooks this field, and I was so impressed by by the way that they are very family oriented in the fact that the women come out to the field, they bring the children, um, and they're always within feet of each other. I mean, it's it, it's. It's really, truthfully, something to see, and um, I encourage anybody to come and, and, and watch what I've seen in the, the past couple of years since they, since they started farming this by hand. Um, I, I encourage people to come and watch this because it's, it's family unity, and, and again, I embrace that. Sure. I mean, America should be about families, but uh, aside from the immigration issue, 
we've become a lot less and less family-oriented as a, co- as a country and a culture, and that's one of the big problems in this country. And whether you want to, you want to cite single-parent families or where the grandmothers are raising children or just this backing away from this family unity you're talking about you see with these immigrant families, uh, that's a big problem in America today is we've become a lot less family-oriented. Uh, well, and I think, go ahead. I, I think some of the uh, the uh, uh, other things you know, with the drug problem um, that we're that we are we are coddling these people, and I have a I personally have a, a problem with Narcan. Um, um, I I I have a nephew who's a pharmacist, and he worked at a hospital in Northern Ohio, and this guy kept coming in, and he came in on a regular basis, would shoot up in the bathroom. Knowing that they had the Narcan there, oh, yeah. and apparently when you come back, you, you sometimes you can be pretty violent. Yep. This guy got up and kicked the, the leg of a security guard, broke his leg, his knee backwards. <laughs> now this guy's ruined for life, and and you know, as hard as this may sound, there's throwaway people, and uh, and if you want to keep doing that, you're not you're not going to jeopardize the livelihood of other folks. Well, that's the thing. You you, you want to go and ruin your own life? I'm pretty libertarian on this. Uh, that's fine. But when it starts affecting, influencing, and ruining other people's lives and putting the responsibility on them for your safety solely, that's where the problem lies. Yes, sir. All right, Michael, thank you very much. Good phone call. Joey, hello. You're on 700 WLW with Gary Jeff Walker in for Bill Cunningham today. How are you doing? Hey, good. How are you doing? All I'm right. All right. All right. So on the, on the like Jesse to... Smollett thing, huh? I'd like to point out two things about him. Um, I knew it was fake from the... And I watched his interview and his mannerism with his eyes and everything, the way he was fucking her on TV. It, it was as fake as could be. And the police knew it, too, except they had to be politically correct and, and follow the, the proper procedures. Well, yeah, because he's playing the race card and he's playing the gay card. And, right. And those are hard things for people to just turn away from, especially today. Right. And two things should happen to him. First of all, he arranged and was involved in a hate crime, even though it is fake and it was staged, he, he perpetrated a hate crime on himself, and they should charge him with a hate crime to, to just give him a taste of the, the full-blown medicine. Oh, it's, it's, like, it's like people who plan their own kidnapping so a relative will give them money. It's right. the same thing. Right. It, it, it slap on the wrist, a couple of years, two or three years is a slap on the wrist for what his real motive was that he should be charged with a hate crime. He really should be. I think there's probably a way that 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 could be done. And then secondly, the amount of time and money that had to go into this, everything had to be stopped because of the circumstances today. I can't imagine what the cost is, but he should have to pay for it. Well, think about... The uh, the police involvement of this, the time of police officers, you know, we're talking about the city of Chicago, they have plenty of problems with violent crime in certain neighborhoods. The, the right. south side's well documented. It's all gangs and drugs and the like. Right. But think about these officers, these investigators' time that was taken away if this proves to be a, nothing but a big publicity hoax that was taken away from real criminals and real crimes affecting real people right. instead That's of someone exactly who's seeking attention. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. He should have to cough up this money. And I'm sure he's got several million because he's from Hollywood and they're all overpaid. He should have to take care of this for doing this. So the next clown that comes along thinks twice about it. 
I, I don't disagree with you. You know, if thanks, Joey. If this turns out to be what it is looking like more and more, like this was something that he set up, he paid these guys or organized this whole thing with his agent or just in and of, of himself, he's guilty of a lot more than filing a false report. That's why they have that charge on the book, because it drains very, very crucial resources away from people who, you know, who could be actually doing some good for the community and actually doing their job. Hello, Mary. How are you? Well, I can tell you what. It's language, language, language. Attitude, attitude. And we all belong to that thing called human race. Yes. Like it or not. And I resent allowing a race, the black race, to use the word racist. Well, it's all the same race. That's right. And black races can be prejudiced, and white people can be prejudiced. And that's where this is. It's not a one-sided argument. When you do this, you're always practicing Benjamin Franklin. A half-truth is a lie. Let's be honest and let's call a lie what it is. There are no such things as a half-truth. And that's bottom-line understanding that when we belong to this human race and we live in a social, as a social being, whether I like it or not, no man is an island. There aren't enough islands for each of us to go to our island and run it according to our way. We're stuck with trying to understand, and that word understand, how we can work together and get a balance. There will never be a perfect balance. It's progressive progressivism, things we're going to reach that stage of perfection. That's a bunch of BS. <laughs> well said. Somebody else pointed out earlier, I think it was on Sloney's show, that the, these Democrat socialist plans like the Green New Deal and Medicare for All, uh, bankrupting the system, say, oh, the, the solution's simple. We'll just have the Federal Reserve print more money. <laughs> or we'll just impose a an 86% value-added tax on anything you buy. And again, as the guest pointed out, we're, we're talking about the Weimar Republic in Germany before World War II. We're talking about Venezuela today. This is what happens when you are a very wealthy nation, and then because of corruption in your government, because of just printing money to get out of a, a debt situation, you, you further, you just throw gasoline on the fire. All right, we'll take a quick break for news. Come back. The Abraham Lincoln author in just moments on the Bill Cunningham Show, 700 WLW. Into another hour of this Bill Cunningham Show for Monday, February 18th, 2019, President's Day. 700 WLW, Gary Jeff filling in for Willie once again. And tomorrow and Wednesday, and then he'll return on Thursday. Since it's President's Day, I thought it'd be appropriate to have a guest who knows something about presidents. Uh, Dr. Joan E. Cashin is a professor of history at Ohio State University, award-winning scholar of 19th century American history, which too often is lost and forgotten, author or editor of five books, including First Lady of the Confederacy, Verena Davis' Civil War. That's an interesting take. And uh, the newest book is War Stuff. And basically... It's the struggle for human and environmental resources in the American Civil War. Joining us, Dr. Joan Cashin on this subject and Abraham Lincoln in particular. How are you doing this afternoon, Doctor? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Hey, thanks for being had. Uh, 
Now, tell me a little bit about the book, War Stuff, which is out now on, uh, again, what it takes actually to wage war and what it did to the nation and the populace in general, specifically in the South. Sure. Well, I argue that uh, both armies need a lot of resources to survive, and when the supplies don't come through, uh, they turn to civilians, and they take whatever they need from the civilian population. I make the case that neither army is a modern institution. They're not especially efficient. They're not obviously not able to rely on modern means of communication and or transportation, and, whatever. Right, and transportation. And when the rations don't show up, then soldiers in both armies turn to civilians, and they assert the doctrine of military necessity. That's a phrase that people in both armies use repeatedly. They say that they have the right to take food or timber or housing itself uh, from uh, civilians wherever they go. Well, you know, in many cases, Dr. Cashin, uh, this is still at work today when you talk about law enforcement. If a police officer, and I don't know how often it happens, but if a police officer is trying to apprehend a wanted criminal who's a dangerous society, sometimes they will take somebody's car or, you know, set up set up next door in somebody's house, I guess with the owner's permission, to try a, a, mm-hmm. a sting operation and the like. It's not just in war, especially in 19th century war, but it still goes on today a little bit in the 21st century, does it not? I guess so. I mean, I, I'm not really an expert on sure. the police departments of the United States, <laughs> but I, I think a good analogy might be uh, eminent domain or public uh-huh. domain. Sure. You know, some, sometimes the federal government just asserts that they have the right to take certain kinds of property, and that's uh, something that was widespread during the Civil War. And one thing that surprised me was that uh, the soldiers didn't really pay that much attention, uh, especially after the first year or so, to the political convictions of the civilians they were dealing with. You know, right. there's some uh, pro-union white Southerners. We must always remember that. Uh, but the federal army takes from them too. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was and, a small. There was a small percentage of Southerners that were slave owners. Is that correct? I mean, very small percentage. Well, yes. I mean, about about 25%. Sorry, it's about 25% of the white population uh, consists of slave owners, and about 10% of the uh, white population is part of the plantation elite. But one thing I discovered is that there are pro-union white Southerners. The term is... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Unionist. Uh, at every... Uh, social background from every social class. Uh, and, of course, most white Southerners are pro-Confederate, I think probably about maybe 70% or so, although we don't have any good polling data, obviously. But what they discovered, <laughs> pro-Confederate white Southerners discovered, that the rebel army would take from them, too. Mm-hmm. So after about 1862 or 1863, most civilians recognized that an army in the neighborhood poses a threat to them and their resources, and they start pulling back. 
they start to realize that any army could take all the cattle on the farm, could chop down their trees or take over the house in which they live. Did Southern civilians suffer from this, uh, just percentage-wise, much more than Northern civilians suffered? Oh, yes. Well, most of the fighting takes place uh, inside the South. Uh, But whenever um, Confederates invade the North, Maryland in 1862 and Pennsylvania in 1863, the same thing happens. Uh, When Confederate troops are taking part in the Gettysburg campaign, they take supplies from the farmhouses. They pass on their way to Gettysburg and on the retreat when they're headed back into the Confederacy. And they're they're very um, direct about it. <laughs> they're very sure. self confident. Men in both armies are because sometimes civilians resist. They're, they, they're emboldened. They're entitled. They think because it's the yes, war. and and civilians will argue with them. You know, how can you do this? Uh, my children have to eat. How can you take all of our poultry? And the message consistently comes back: military necessity. You know that the armies needs are privileged that whatever the army needs the army should uh take there's a the the great song the night they drove old dixie down by by the band mm-hmm. most prominently and mm-hmm. it said just take what you need and leave the rest but they should never have taken the very best i think that's a great a couple sentence uh, analogy mm-hmm. to what you're talking about in the book yeah, that's a great song, uh, although I think it was written by Canadians. <laughs> I mean, wasn't, wasn't most of the membership of the band from Canada? Anyway. Well, there were some Canadians in the band, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, civilians believe that, that they have the right to resources that are necessary for their own survival. Uh, and when the war is over, what happens is uh, a lot of the experience of civilians gets distorted and misrepresented. Uh, the very existence of those pro-Union white Southerners gets forgotten. It's, it's kind of deleted out of the collective memory. No, every, everybody in the South was a bigot and a slave owner and, you know, just racist as hell. And everybody in the North was altruistic and, and perfect and, and driven by God in all of their efforts. That that seems yes, to be the those, narrative. Those are those are stereotypes that I have encountered uh, inside academia and outside of academia. Uh, but not only do the pro-union Southerners get forgotten, but the um, misconduct of the federal army uh, is underscored and exaggerated and mythologized, and the wrongdoing of the Confederate army is almost completely forgotten. So, so this fantasy is created that all white Southerners were pro-Confederate and that if anything bad happened to a civilian, it had to be the Yankee Army. And that's just <laughs> not true. <laughs> uh, Dr. Cashin, do you, have, do you have time for one more segment? Because I want to talk to you about Abe Lincoln. Oh, sure. I'd love to. All right. Dr. Joan Cashin, the book is War Stuff, The Struggle for Human and Other Resources During Times of the Civil War. And she is a doctor of history at Ohio State University, and she'll be joining us again in moments on this President's Day to talk about Abraham Lincoln on the Bill Cunningham Show on 700 WLW. Discussing one of America's most seminal and important presidencies, the presidency of Abraham Lincoln, revolving around the Civil War with Dr. Joan Cashin from Ohio State University, professor of history and uh, author of the book, the latest book, War Stuff. Uh, Dr. Cashin, 
Did Abraham Lincoln fully understand what the cost of life and land would be in the Civil War, especially in the South? That's a good question. Uh, at the beginning of the war, lots of people on both sides thought it might be over in a couple of months. And Lincoln seems to have shared that belief or that hope that the whole thing might collapse. And he was aware of the fact that thousands of white men had voted against secession in 1860. And, of course, the state of West Virginia immediately breaks off from Virginia uh, when Virginia secedes. Mm. West Virginia secedes so it can go back into the Union. Right. <laughs> and he was hoping that that might keep happening, you know, that that might happen in places like uh, western North Carolina and eastern Tennessee where there had been lots of pro-Union votes. But that, that doesn't happen. And what, what seems to take place instead is that pro-Union white Southern men join the Union Army. And some of them also join uh, pro-Union guerrilla uh, outfits. Sure. But, but no, I don't think he or anybody else had any true appreciation of, of just the massive scale uh, of the conflict that, that was ahead of them all. Abraham Lincoln is both lifted up and deified for, you know, uh, launching this war uh, that ultimately ended slavery in this country. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. issuing the Emancipation Proclamation and all of that, he's also vilified by many for, in the effort to do this, they claim tearing up the Constitution when it came to states' rights and elimination of writ of habeas corpus and the like. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's looked at, even though, you know, 160 years later, he's looked at as the president who ended slavery through the Civil mm-hmm. War. He's looked mm-hmm. at by a lot of constitutional experts as somebody who, totally went against the Constitution of the United States as it was written. Well, his critics say he went against one part of the Constitution uh, regarding the writ of habeas corpus. But in general, Lincoln took the view that uh, the chief executive has a lot of power and should exercise that power. Now, his role models were the founders, the founding generation. And he also thought that when the country was at war, that that expanded of the powers of the chief executive. So so that was his philosophy. That was his approach. And other presidents have had that philosophy. I mean, he, he's not unusual in, in that respect. But, of course, Lincoln is in an unprecedented situation in 1861. You know, there's no guidance in the Constitution as to what the president should do if the country starts to break up. Right. You know, there's no paragraph in there that he can turn to to consult. So Lincoln has to uh, solve all these issues on a case-by-case basis. Uh, you know, there's kind of an ad hoc quality to it because obviously no one can predict the future. And at the same time, Lincoln wants to keep the country together. And that, and that was his overriding goal. Sure. And he said that in 1862 in a public letter to a newspaper editor. He said, my, my chief goal here is to save the Union and if I can do that by also freeing the slaves, then, then I will do that. But my, my chief goal was to keep the country together. So, so that's what he was focused on uh, most well, of the time. Presidents often say things that are altruistic and sound like you know great ideas, but depending on who's hearing it and who's interpreting it, it gets tangled around. Was was Abraham Lincoln blamed for the brutality and consequences of the war at the time, or were Southerners more upset with Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy? 
Well, lots of civilians uh, blame the northern military. They tend to blame army officers and commanders rather than the political figures. And and the person that they demonize is William T. Sherman. (laughs) You know, he he sort of selected out as the person who was the most damaging, uh, the most rapacious, et cetera, et cetera. But I argue that that's not really true. Uh, What Sherman did in the March to the Sea in 1864 is not all that different from what other commanders uh, had done or were already doing. Uh, And the same for uh, Confederate uh, commanders. Uh, You know, these big armies use up a tremendous amount of resources. And Sherman gets picked out in ways that I think are not really fair to him uh, as the symbol for that whole process. What are some of the uh, lasting effects of the war on the environment that, that the Civil War wreaked, especially in the South? Oh, that's another good question. Uh, it takes about uh, 20 years for the agricultural economy to recover, and it takes about that long for uh, reforestation to happen. You know, yeah, the trees to grow back. Uh, right, right, exactly, because there had been tremendous deforestation, DE, uh, uh, during the war. And, and it, so it takes about a generation for uh, the food supply and the woodlands uh, to come back. Uh, but, of course, one thing I point out is that the psychological or emotional scars of the war lasted for a very long time. You know, this oh, sense yeah. that... I, yeah, I, sense, I think they're, they're still ongoing today in some cases. Yes, I think so. Uh, and and I witness this uh, sometimes when I give public lectures, sometimes I get email about this. You know, for a lot of white Southerners who live through the war, it's a trauma. It's a primal trauma that has been carried down from one generation to the next. And as you say, I think there are people who've never really come to terms with it. So um, how do you rate Lincoln uh, just overall um, among our president? He, he certainly had unprecedented issues to deal with, as you mentioned. There's nothing mm-hmm. in the Constitution about the country coming apart and fragmenting. Mm-hmm. And how do you approach that? But being a, a historian, especially specializing in the 19th century, was was Lincoln the absolute seminal figure among all our presidents during that time? Oh, I think he's the best president of the 19th century, Yeah, clearly, and one of the best we've ever had. Uh, Lincoln was very hardworking. He was completely focused on his job. He was a very good judge of people, and that's important in any politician. He had a deep sense of healthy nationalism. You know, he was devoted to the Union and wanted to preserve it. And Lincoln was also a very good writer. I think that's one thing that historians might want to emphasize a bit more. You know, he wrote the Gettysburg Address himself. (laughs) He didn't rely on speechwriters. He wrote that beautiful prose himself. So he's one of the best writers. See, I've I've heard, I've heard differing stories on that. But no, he wrote it himself. He was fiddling with the prose on his way up to Gettysburg, and he was taking the train from Washington D.C. up so to he's, Gettysburg. So he's still composing this on his way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, fiddling with an adjective here, an adverb there. Uh, it's his handwriting, and it's his work. You know, it, it came from his mind, his heart, and his soul. Uh, so he's one of the 
best uh, communicators we've ever had in the White House in terms of his ability to write and communicate with the public. So now, he he, wa- he wasn't considered that powerful a speaker. You're talking about his his writing abilities, but mm-hmm. but actually as a public speaker, he, he lacked some. Did he not? No. Well, it depends on who was listening. Uh, sure. Uh, people described his speaking voice as penetrating, uh, ringing. Uh, one person described it as metallic. Ooh. You know, that's an interesting choice of yeah, words. Uh, yeah, that could be a criticism or a compliment. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, but I would say if you had to compare his speaking ability with his writing ability, he was probably a somewhat better writer. But but he was still a good speaker. I mean, you know, in the Lincoln-Douglas debates in 1858, those debates lasted a couple of hours each. So he had the lung power and the stamina stamina, to to have a long debate. All right, so uh, let's move on. President's Day topic, just for the next minute and a half. What the hell is the deal with James Buchanan? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, how do we start? Uh, that discussion, uh, Buchanan is usually ranked among historians as one of our worst presidents. Yeah. Uh, Buchanan seems to have been afraid, uh, during his entire term from 1856 up to 1860 that some kind of crisis was coming on the issue of slavery and the future. And, and he told people he was terrified that it might happen to him. Right. So, so he's not a brave or steady personality. He's not a go-getter. No, he wasn't. <laughs> what, what about uh, Abraham Lincoln's predecessor, uh, the the man who followed Abraham Lincoln, Andrew Johnson? You know, only one of two presidents to face face impeachment. He just he just made the wrong people mad in Congress. Is that what happened? Uh, well, Andrew Johnson is a political figure with a very with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Very low level of skill, you know, regarding politics and people. He's very stubborn. He's very inflexible. He just wasn't up to the demands of the job. But but we do have, you know, this this phenomenal president preceded by a weak president and followed by a weak president. The author of War Stuff, The Struggle for Human and Environmental Resources in the American Civil War, Dr. Joni Cashin. Dr. Cashin, thank you so much for your time. It was a great, great interview and uh, oh, you're welcome. appropriate for the day and time. Take care. I really enjoyed it. Thanks thank, a lot. Thank you. Break for news and come back. 700 WLW. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Oh, you bonehead. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. President's Day, Seg. A yes, holiday. sir. Yes, sir, now, Gary Jeff. Now, are you getting holiday pay today? Mance Diamond is. I don't think I am. I have no idea. I don't know how that why, works. Why, why are you helping Wall Street? Why are you helping Wall Street, Seg? That's what I want to know. Wall Street's closed. On this President's Day. You now downstairs in the parking lot. Now, yeah, no kidding. No, no UBS business today. 
Donald Trump is evil, says Malia Obama's secret Facebook account. How much he hates her father's successor with a post-it note picture like to Biden's granddaughter Finnegan. So they're in cahoots. Finnegan Biden, the granddaughter of the former vice president and the daughter of the former president, are teaming up on the anti-Trump train. What do you think about that? That's a nice President's Day gift for the current commander-in-chief. Not surprising. He's not worried. I don't know. Malia Obama, she she carries some weight. When I was in England, I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. And didn't inhale and never tried it again. That's why he didn't like it. He didn't inhale. (laughs) That's the point right there, Seg. Did you ever believe that when Clinton came and said, I was in England and I tried marijuana and I, I didn't like it and I didn't inhale. It's one of the great... Didn't really pay attention to him too much. It's almost like an Elizabeth Warren statement about her Native American ancestry. Again? Oh, I, she's getting heckled now on Go the ahead. campaign trip. Make my day. Thank you. Go ahead. Thank you. Ronnie Reagan. Who was your favorite president in your lifetime? Second Dennison. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. In your lifetime? Oh. <laughs> I'd say Reagan. Ronald Reagan, yeah. I think Overall, a lot of people would, Lincoln. I think a lot of people would give that answer. What about Jimmy Carter? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty much right. My reaction too. I don't think he's like the worst president, but it's a yeah. What about Donald Trump? Where do you think he'll rank when he gets done? <laughs> Where do you think the Trumpster will rank as history records the the space between 2016 and 2020 or 2024? Quite I'm possibly. I'm not doing that to brag because you know what? I don't have to brag. I don't have to. Believe it or not. There you go. I, I think that he will go down in history as being very remembered. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. Go ahead, segment. Uh, Gary Jeff, the uh, Stooge Report on this President's Day as a proud service of your local Tempstar. Heating and air conditioning dealers. Tempstar. Tempstar. Quality you can feel in northern Kentucky. Call Earl Sizemore at Affordable Comfort at 859-496-0314. Sports! It was on this date, Gary Jeff, in 1944. During your lifetime. A uh, Hamilton High School student, the old left-hander. Joe Nuxall. Took the mound in spring training for the first time? Signed with the Reds at age 15. Made baseball history. The old left-hander signing today back in 1944 on this date. Well, there were like a a great, uh, a great, there was a great dearth of pitchers available because of World War II at the time, correct? correct. That's how they brought the the boy up from the farm and and got him, got him throwing that left-handed ball. He wasn't very successful his first few years, was he? Uh, No, but he got better. Yes, he did. Uh, Reds position players are on the field right now in Goodyear, Arizona. The first full squad workout is underway. Cactus League opener is Saturday against the Indians. Is Yasiel Puig fully clothed? Yes. Okay, good. And um, he's he's teaching the Reds to lick their bats. <laughs> what is that? I just saw a picture on Twitter. To lick their bats. Yeah. Is that like the guy that rings some... the the door, the licks the ring doorbell at your front door? What what does uh, licking your bat do for your hitting prowess? Well, I guess for Puig, it, it, it you know it hits it farther, so maybe he'll hit it to Covington or Newport now instead of just make sure just you, in the river. Make sure you don't have too much pine tar in that bat because that's awfully nasty that's taste. A from pitch what I clocks. Understand. What Major League Baseball announced that pitch clocks coming to spring training games this week. What about during pitch, the regular season? Pitchers will now have twenty seconds to deliver to the plate or else. 
Well, what if the batter steps out and delays the at-bat? The way it goes. So it ought to be interesting. Baseball's laying this on them. Boy, I tell you what, they'd hate to see Sean Casey at the plate if they're under a pitch clock because that dude stepped out like between every pitch. That's for sure. I, lo- I love the Casey thing. He'd I step out. He'd step out and he'd twist his back around and he'd check his wristbands and he'd step back in and he sometimes could... he'd step out before the pitch came if, again. If he did that, now he's going to strike out. I guess. I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens. But Oh, is that what they're going to do? Be, should be. It was good talking to him, too. Thank you. Uh, college basketball, of course, the UC Bearcats, a 10-point winner yesterday. Get more tonight. How about that? Mick Cronin they show live from the Montgomery shockers. and Boathouse at 8.05. They shocked the Get shockers. the uh, latest on, the NKU ba- on NKU basketball tonight. Norse Nation show, Jim Kelch, the coach, Steve Moeller, 7 o'clock on 55 KRC. I'm glad the Kelchster has some work, man. He's doing a good job with NKU. I miss the Kelster. Duke has uh, reclaimed the number one spot in the AP Top 25 poll this week. Uh, 58 votes, first place votes. Gonzaga second, Kentu- or, uh, Virginia third, Kentucky only up a spot to fifth. Tennessee dropped the fi- uh, drop. Uh, Kentucky's fourth. Tennessee is fifth. After the game this After, weekend. Uh, their, their, the uh, Vols beat down on Saturday night at Rupp Arena. How bad was that? I, I missed that it was, score. It was bad. Uh, Purdue is 15th. Uh, Chris Mack and Louisville's 18th. Uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats are 26th. How about this? I, I got to admit, I don't get it. Let's talk. Let's talk that. about uh, Chris Mack and what has been done at Louisville. And somebody was talking about this over the weekend about Xavier's misfortunes uh, with Mack's departure and the departure of several players from last year's squad, and Travis Steele have to basically rebuild. From nothing, and I said it's almost—it's not as bad as what Mick Cronin walked into. He had one scholarship player, right. I think. No, no, nothing, but he's not as bad as that. To UC, no. But I mean, Travis Deal. I mean, he knew this was going to be a tough season. I'm sure right. with the departures. But Chris Mack, man, he just keeps on ticking. Well, they're 18 and eight. Of course, they had the uh, the the gigantic lead against Duke and then lost. I know that was tough, but they uh, they hung on against. I think they played Clemson on Saturday, and they they hung on to win. Uh, but they can't. They're not going anywhere because they're under the, you know, they're Suspension. under the, the four-year. They're under the four-year deal. So, but uh, so far at Louisville, they're having a good season. Yes, they are indeed. So, so what about the Cyclones? They had a big, big Cyclones win over the won uh, last night in overtime, uh, rally from a two-goal deficit. So um, they keep on ticking too, man. Yes, they do. First place and. They just kind of yeah. keep doing their used thing. Used to be the Cyclones' only hope was playing Hershey when they were in the same league together. Well, right now they're in first place in the they Western usually, Conference. They usually had no problem beating the Hershey Squirts, as I remember. A.K.A. the Bears. Oh, is it the Bears? Yes. I always thought it was the Squirts. I'm sorry. So, that's about it, Gary Jeff. What do you think about Daytona? Uh, good race. Wild at the end. Ten laps uh, to go, 21 cars. Taken out just like that. And then uh, they had another seven-car wreck, and then another one, two red flags. The uh, winner, Denny Hamlin, fell asleep twice. Two pops and another pop. During the uh, red flags. And another pop. So the winner fell asleep, got a nice little nap. (laughs) Jeez. Well, he said he fell asleep twice in the red flags. And, and, you know, but uh, with five and four and three to go. And Logano Logano just barely avoided that last wreck that took all those cars out. I mean, he was like an inch away from somebody's bumper, and he survived to come in second. It was uh, very interesting on many of the comments after the race. 
But uh, it's quite something that uh, six weeks ago, uh, Joe Gibbs lost his son, J.D., yeah, uh, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, the the guy that discovered Denny Hamlin in Hickory, North Carolina, the dirt track, uh, Denny Hamlin ends up winning it for the second time in four years. Yeah, it was nice. That's so, a fact. Like, That's a fact. So, uh, like oh. like the coach said last night, JD had the best view of it all. No doubt. All right. Very well, Sag. Get us out of the Stooge Report, if you will. Gary, Jeff, on this uh, cold but overcast Monday, on this President's Day, we leave you with the immortal words of the Stooge Report. It is just wonderful to be back in Oregon, and over the last 15 months, we've traveled uh, to every corner of the United States. Uh, I've now been in 57 states. I think one left to go. 50. Where did the other eight states come from, Seg? I don't know. <laughs> That means there should be 116 senators. Maybe he's counting the uh, Canadian provinces. Did he go up there to campaign? Uh, he, he was welcoming votes from anywhere, even people who weren't alive. I mean, <laughs> 57 of the 58 states. And he still got elected. He still got elected. I'd love to see Obama's Billy Bush video. If it exists. Ouch. <laughs> All right, segment. Thank you. We'll yes, talk to you again next hour. 700 WLW. Gary Jeff in for Willie. Thanks to my wife, Krista 2.0, for pointing out that Joey Logano came in fourth. Yesterday's Daytona 500. I misstated he came in second. Because she's the real NASCAR fan in the family. She's like, Daytona 500 today? So we, we don't have to watch it. I knew she wanted to watch it. And I watched most of it and fell asleep and... She got to see all the good wrecks. I had to watch those on replay later. 700 WLW, Bill Cunningham Show, and Gary Jeff with you. From Gary Jeff Walker at 700WLW.com, some points to ponder, some food for thought, eat as much as you like. It was sent to be written by a cousin's friend, and just some things to consider. If your Constitution is scorned, ignored, and considered irrelevant by your elected officials, your constitutional republic might be in serious danger. You think? If your elected officials are openly discussing compulsory taxation of 70 to 90% of the income of its productive citizens, your constitutional republic might be in serious danger. Some things to think about as we head to uh, 2020. If your news media and press are secretly but heavily biased towards advancing stories that promote the agenda of one political party, your constitutional republic might be in serious danger. Freedom of the press does have its responsibilities. If a large population of educators in your colleges and universities believes the federal constitution and your nation's founding principles are flawed or evil, guess what? Your constitutional republic might be in serious danger. If your senators and representatives... Write laws so voluminous and complex that nobody can read them, including themselves, or reasonably comply with them, then your constitutional republic might be in serious danger. It sounds like we're in serious danger on this President's Day 2019. If you can find judges who will rule in any way you desire on a constitutional question, your constitutional republic might be in serious danger. If your constitutional rights are consistently threatened by your lawmakers, guess what? If certain principles, opinions, or beliefs enshrined in your founding documents are considered worthy of banishment or punishment by your elected leaders, if your elected municipal and state leaders openly defy federal laws to protect lawbreakers, 
if winning an election for representative or senator starts a lifelong career and a path toward being a millionaire, gee, I wonder who that would apply to. Most of them. If your top FBI or Department of Justice officials can target political opponents with fabricated evidence and threats of prosecution, do you see the Andy McCabe interview on 60 Minutes? And can you believe anything Andy McCabe says? That's the other question. If one presidential candidate can mishandle mountains of classified information, oversee Russian acquisition of 20% of the nation's uranium supply, receive large foreign contributions in her charity foundation, in quotes, and receive a six-figure payment for a spouse's lecture to a Russian audience, yet applaud the grueling investigation of another candidate for uncorroborated allegations of Russian collusion. If your welfare recipients and illegal aliens receive more government support than your military personnel, if your elected leaders feel that requiring photo ID and proof of citizenship in order to vote is a violation of constitutional rights, I never got that one. Because anybody can get an ID. You can get a state ID free even if you don't have a driver's license, if you've got the right documentation. If your elected leaders believe that a barrier to prevent illegal entry along a border, well known for its reputation as a major conduit for illegal, violent, and nefarious activity, is immoral and not worthy of serious attention, if there's a serious discussion in your political circles that policemen and women are the bad guys, he goes on, If it is considered legitimately offensive to play the national anthem, recite the Pledge of Allegiance, display an American flag, or adhere to the national motto, in God we trust. Being politically aware and involved for most responsible Americans is a necessary evil. We do it to prevent the rise of unnecessary evil. If we fail to speak and act in defense of our constitutional liberties and protections, there are many loud and active agents for change who have other ideas and plans for all of us. And he finishes, freedom is not a spectator sport. If freedom-loving people sit on the sidelines, the ball will be carried toward the goalpost of tyranny. History has taught us that lesson time and time again, mind you. And he finishes, so bite down in your mouth guard, buckle your helmet, helmet, and let's roll. Again, food for thought, eat as much as you like. But the writer makes some very good, relevant points about what's going on in our political system in our country today. And it's, it's so fractious. It's so divisive. And I understand that the current president has played his role in that. But so has the other side. Every time I hear Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi or anyone on the left talk about how divisive President Trump is, it's like, go find a mirror. There is no self-awareness at all among these people. <clears throat> and it, it just keeps getting worse, or as my friend Doug from Ripley would say, worser. And is it going to get any better with an upcoming presidential and House of Representative election in 2020? Or is it just going to get worse, continuously worse? And who do the Democrats ultimately throw in the ring? For the next presidential election. We're going to have that discussion on this President's Day, looking ahead to a presidential election that is now less than two years away. God, are, are you tired of election cycles? We just we just got through one. And now we're doing it. And there's another side to the story that people are still not appreciating 
what happened in 2016 and understanding that Donald Trump was a duly elected president by the system we have. So we're going to look at some of the announced candidates that the Democrats may or may not nominate. They're already doing their exploratory committees. They're already doing their announcements. They're already going to places which will kind of detect or determine what the early primary leaders are going to look like out of a field of at least 20 candidates. Jason Williams from Cincinnati Inquirer's Politics Extra will join us to handicap a little bit about uh, who's already announced and when I get out his crystal ball as a politico and find out what he thinks of the current field and who may come out on top in that. Real quickly, Jeff, you're on 700 WLW. Hey, I think you just said the ticket right there. What about Schumer and Pelosi? Uh, Pelosi is the president, Schumer, or vice versa. I mean, they can do it better. Hey, get on a ticket together. That's how I look at it. You well, know, I don't believe they can do it better, and I don't believe either one of me those. Me neither. Me neither. I don't believe either one of those people have the personalities <laughs> no, to rise to the top. I mean, well, they're 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 sour grapes, man, and that's one pair of fruit of looms I don't want to be putting my shorts in. You know, whatever. There it is. Well, just always make sure you wear clean underwear because you never know when you might have an accident, Jeff. So anyway, Jason Williams on the other side to discuss this and uh, maybe a few more topics as we continue. I'm expecting Coach Lou today for a Stooge report. Didn't see him. He's a big Cyclones fan, too. So I'd love to get his reaction to the last couple of games because they have been just absolutely knocking it out of the rink, so to speak. All right, so we got news and your phone calls as well. 513-749-7000, pounds 700 on AT&T is a freebie. This is the Bill Cunningham Show. Gary Jeff in for Willie on 700 WLW. On the day I was born, the nurses all gathered round. And they gazed in wide wonder at the joy they had found. The head nurse spoke up, said, leave this one alone. She could tell right away that I was bad to the bone. On this President's Day, reflecting on presidents, current, former, and possibly future. And I thought on President's Day, it would be a good idea to get somebody who's always got his head in the uh, political stream, who's always got his finger to the air, he knows which way the wind is blowing, he writes about it, he talks about it, politics extra is the column in the Cincinnati Inquirer, and he joins us today, Jason Williams. Good afternoon and uh, happy President's Day. Happy President's Day, Gary. Jeff, thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, I think it's a good topic, and I know you're you're great with all the history stuff on American history, and so I think it's uh, interesting to bring this up. Well, you know, I, I, the Iowa caucuses are like a year away, and they're they're talking in Iowa about letting people. What was it that they let them tweet and their or, or some kind of social media, phone it in, so to speak, and it reminded me and. In the aftermath of Katrina, they pushed through a law for the, the next election for mayor to let the displaced citizens of New, New Orleans vote by fax, which I always thought was laughable. <laughs> but uh, And it is. <laughs> yeah. So far, the former vice president, and you would expect with the name recognition, he was on the national stage for eight years along with all his time in, in Congress in Delaware. Joe Biden, who has not even declared yet, is the leader in most polls 
to be the Democrat nominee for president in 2020. I think the latest poll I saw, he was at 31.8%, and the next person wasn't even really close statistically. What about Uncle Joe's chances? That's really interesting. You know, I've really been thinking about this as well for several months now, and that I want to say that Uncle Joe uh, would be the leading candidate. And I and I, I dug up this quote from the New York Times, and it was, quote, uh, he's among the best-liked figures in the Democratic Party, known for his down-to-earth personality and his ability to connect with working-class voters. It's interesting to think about him as sort of that down-to-earth-liked figure. You know, we call him Uncle Joe, you know, the folksy thing. And yet you have this faction of so many others in the party trying to run – as far to the left as you possibly can. Um, it's a really weird, or I guess an, an interesting dynamic in that um, I honestly, this is just my total takeaway, is that I think Joe Biden gives the Democrats their best chance to beat Donald Trump in 2020 because because of that down-to-earthness. He's not out there uh Saying, espousing a 70% increase on, on taxes exactly. or, or the Green New, the deal, Green New deal, ripping people left and right on Twitter. And that I think that he's a guy who can connect where there are so many uh, electoral college votes, and that's in the Midwest. When I heard the term Green New Deal at first before reading it, um, I thought Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was proposing, a, I don't know, a merchandising for dog treats or something. The new green, the greeny new deal. I was thinking like Green Day, the band. Oh yeah, <laughs> don't want to be an American idiot, AOC. No, you don't. All right, Scott Sloan lets us know. Yeah, Cory Booker did not yep. really have, although Newark, New Jersey, did make some inroads in coming back from the abyss when he was the mayor, but didn't really have a great mayoralship uh, no. of, of a city like Newark, New Jersey. And then he gets elected senator uh, from New Jersey. And he's running on a campaign of love, so he says. Yeah. Uh, the Spartacus thing, people may forget about that, but I think that still kind of dogtails him. And uh, just your thoughts on Senator Booker's uh, chances? To me, to me, Cory Booker is just too scripted. To, to put uh-huh. it simply, it's it's all talking points and. And he's not alone in that right now. No. There, there are 11 people who have declared, Democrats who have declared they're running for president. And I would say almost all of them have some kind of, you know, there's, there's, you look at it, you're like, huh, it's, it, there's a lot of scripted people in there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of coastal uh, elitist types or, or, or people who are viewed as that by those of us back here in Ohio and in Wisconsin and Missouri. And and so what I think is happening are right now, unless Joe Biden, which looks like he would run, or even a Sherrod Brown. I saw a Politico headline the other day that said even Sherrod Brown is is not liberal enough for the Democratic Party, or it was something along those lines. Not in the direction they've headed since the elections. You're right. Right. And so – but what's happening in the Democratic Party, it seems like they're on their way to making some of the same mistakes they made in 2015 and leading up to 2016 is that there's a lot of uh, scripted candidates here who are out of touch with middle America and are we looking at um, Hillary Clinton 2.0. 
And I see a lot of Hillary Clinton 2.0 in, in a lot of the candidates so far that they have. Yeah, Hillary herself, I, it's it's got to be over for her. I mean, nobody's even talking about Hillary running again. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. I really don't. Um, again, I mean, she. It's tough to come back from where she was, and she's just just not like like so not liked. And again, I, I think you know we can sit here and debate on what happened in the in the midterms and all that, but when Donald Trump is back at the top of the ticket, I think you're going to see Donald Trump's base come out. And what we've seen from that election and what we saw in Ohio last year is that if the rural, small-town, suburban vote shows up, it's always going to Trump, you know, forgive my pun there, it's always going to supersede or uh, the the urban Democrat, where you know you're, where your Democratic votes are mostly concentrated in uh, kind of the urban areas. Talking to Jason Williams from Politics Extra, Cincinnati Inquirer, on this President's Day about the upcoming presidential election and who might head the Democrat Party in a, mm-hmm. uh, a battle against Donald Trump. There's there's some people on this I I never heard of, and I think name recognition means a whole hell of a lot in American politics. Obviously, yeah. Uh, Pete Buttigieg. The the yeah. openly gay mayor of South Bend, Indiana, thirty seven years old, promises to bring a fresh start to the White House. Do you know anything about him at all? I I don't know a lot about him other than what you just said. Um, you know, I know that he's he's very well liked uh, in in the progressive movement per se in this country. Um, but you know, he still needs a lot of he still needs a lot of seasoning. I don't think he's gonna he'll he'll go very far to be honest. Yeah, you know, you're talking about the socialist bent that has driven the Democrat Party farther and farther left with yes. the likes of AOC and Ilan Omar and some of the other Fred, the Rashid Tlaib. Uh, yes. These people, well, they're not going to make inroads with the majority of the American people with these crazy socialist fantasies, but they are going to push the party and its platform further left than maybe it's ever been when it comes to uh, election time, are they not? I mean, you nailed it, and that's, and that's exactly what this is so much about, is that at the end of the day, will the Green New Deal get passed? Uh, you know, most likely not. No. Uh, well, no, yeah. Um, but it, you're right. It is pushing the party, and so then, therefore, you see a, a, a Kamala Harris, a, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren, a Cory Booker, all these folks are trying to run as far to the left as they can to appeal to right now. The, yeah, ahead of a primary, which and the same thing happens on the other side. Is in a primary, you're trying to get as far to the right as you can. Um, but right now, I'm seeing when I look at this list, I got it in front of me here, and I look at it, and I think it's a it's a list of folks who, other than a uh, Joe Biden, uh, Sharon Brown. Maybe an Amy Klobuchar. Uh, yeah. well, I tell you what, are, I want to. I want to get to more of these names on the list. Have you got time to uh, yeah, take a break and then come back? Yes. All right. More with Jason Williams from the Cincinnati Inquirer Politics Extra, handicapping the early field of Democrats who've thrown their hand into the ring and think they could be the next Commander in Chief. We shall see. Seven hundred WLW. Well, apparently the presidential race is on for twenty twenty been on since the the midterm elections were over 
back in November. 700 WLW, Gary Jaffian for Willie today, and our guest this half hour, Jason Williams from the Cincinnati Inquirer Politics Extra Columnist, handicapping the so far announced field. Let's go to Amy Klobuchar. She, she, she's, yeah. she seems interesting to me. She seems like... Uh, Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. She's not buying in to the, the far left necessarily yeah. of the Democrat socialist. Um, just tell me what your, your thoughts on Amy Klobuchar, because this is a relatively new name for a lot of Americans. Yes. Um, Amy Klobuchar is a, um, a senator from Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, Minnesota is actually a I, – I lived there. I actually lived in Minnesota in uh, 2004 to 2007. At the time, she was actually coming up in politics, and she became a, uh, a senator in 07. Um, she's very well-liked. Uh, Minnesota is a very democratic place. Very liberal. And very liberal. Um, what's interesting, and you mentioned it just a second ago, was uh, she, she went on one of the national cable networks last week, and – came out and said, I do not agree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's uh, Green New Deal and some of her policies. I am a pro-capitalism uh, Democrat. And it was just interesting to think, like, well, really most Democrats are pro-capitalism. Yeah. But, what you know, what she's saying is that I'm running for president, I'm from the Midwest, and I, I share your pro-capitalistic, uh, you know, pro-democracy values, values. Uh, folks out in the Midwest. So I, I got to thinking, and I thought, what if there's a, a Sharon Brown, Amy Klobuchar ticket where you have Ohio and Minnesota covered, and that's, what, 28, uh, yeah, 28 electoral votes. And, you know, at some point you'll, see, you'll start to see some consolidation, and I'm just really throwing that one against the wall. But that would be interesting to think when you start to think about all the states in the middle of America that Trump won and that are double digits in uh, you know electoral college votes, those two are uh, uh, those two being Sherrod Brown and Amy Klobuchar yeah. are are very intriguing. Jason, do you see right now um, a charismatic Obama esque figure in any of these people that have so far announced? I do not. Um, yeah. You know, there's, uh, I think Bernie's going to get in, so and he's not. You know, not in. His personality is not like Obama's in that way, but when you say charismatic figure, well, uh, many people saw him as charismatic, you know. And, and they, oh yeah, Bernie. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, I'm, yeah. they're not similar. In that. No. I mean, their, char- their charisma is different. Um, but it's, I it's that see... it's, uh, it's the it factor. And I talked about yeah. this in the summer of 2016 when people were saying Donald Trump will never get the nomination, and then primary to pr- the rallies get bigger. The the meat yep. gets more red, and he's taken as many bites as he can off that red meat and feeding it to these supporters who are growing. Yep. But I th- I thought in in June of 2016, I thought before all the primaries were done, maybe far back as May, people poo pooing this idea of Donald Trump becoming president. I he had that it factor. He really did. Even though two of the most unlikable candidates ever run for president 
mm-hmm. Hillary versus versus Trump in 2016. But he had that charismatic kind of it factor, I guess, from being on TV all those years and having the name recognition <laughs> and everything. And I just I don't see that from any as as you mentioned on on, on the Democrat side so far. I mean, we, we could have a surprise in the next six months. Who knows? But. Yeah, you. I mean, you might. If Beto O'Rourke from Texas gets in, you might see that. But yeah, and and I think that's I think your reaction there is going to ultimately end up being the reaction of Middle America is that uh, here's this kid that uh, in our kid, I mean, forties, mid forties, but he'll be viewed as a kid in this race, and he'll be viewed as is that really genuine and authentic, or are you just at the end of the day, what has he accomplished? What did he accomplish during his three terms in Congress? What did he accomplish? He was an El Paso, te- uh, Texas council member. Sure. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's great at live streaming and connecting to, uh, younger Americans, uh, younger voters, I think, the Get, way getting Obama his, getting was his, getting able his teeth to cleaned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that was, I think that was a mistake. Uh, that was weird. It was, it was weird. It, you know, when you see things like that, you're like, dude, you're trying too hard. Oh, well, what about trying too hard? Okay, let's switch to another. Kamala Ka- Harris in the yeah. famed radio interview this this past week where she admitted to smoking pot, listening to Tupac and before and Snoop Dogg before these artists even had any music out there. Yeah. In, in an attempt to connect, an attempt to be authentic, she comes off as Exactly the opposite of that. She doesn't come off as authentic at all. Elizabeth Warren and the video of her having a beer. <laughs> I'm going to get me a beer. <laughs> and and her husband wants no part in it because he can smell how fake it is. And then she's got the baggage of, of claiming Native American ancestry. And it finds out that most Americans have more Native American DNA than Elizabeth Warren does. And she was using this. I mean, she was heckled off off a stage in Georgia over this past weekend. What? Well, I mean, and, you know, it's funny because I think that. I, I was going to mention that on, on, in the thank you for mentioning that because to me that is that, that is the opposite of what the people, again, and I can't say this enough, and I know you know this, and I, I think I know I would think most of the listeners know this, is that if you cannot connect with people in the middle of this country, you are not going to win the White House. No. And – when you when you have a video from a Massachusetts senator uh, going on who is not looked at as like this super popular figure across the country, and she's like, "Hey, I'm going to get me a beer," and then all of a sudden, magically, her husband shows up at her house. Well, of course he would. That's their house, so her husband lives there. I would think. Yeah. But just it just it was so contrived, and the same thing. With, but it seemed like even her it seemed like even her husband was running away from this because he, he knew yeah. how phony it was. <laughs> She offered him a beer. He's like, <laughs> no, no that's thanks. Right. And, I'm good. <laughs> and and you're and and you know and the same kind of thing with with Harris and again another coastal uh, senator uh, who who is trying like crazy to connect with us, those of us here in the middle of the country. Harris being from California, uh, Warren being from Massachusetts, and it's just. I just don't see it working for either one of them. That's not a. Uh, I like to point out, like I'm a, I'm a nonpartisan columnist. My column is sure. about watchdog journalism, not about conservative or liberal. Right. Uh, but when I look at this and I see the extremes on both sides, I, 
And I see how that doesn't connect with the people who are putting pen to paper and in that ballot box. Um, you, you just like, where is the breakdown in, in the democratic party to think like, yeah, that person will be a great candidate for president and that person too. And that person. And it's kind of like, at the end of the day, I see, you know, Joe Biden, Sherrod Brown, maybe a couple other folks as being really legitimately people who have a chance to beat Donald Trump, um, given all of Donald Trump's issues, everything that's around him. Well, uh, it's going to be a huge challenge, I think, for the Democrats still. Jason Williams from uh, Politics Extra. One more thing about this upcoming presidential race, no matter who gets nominated, I think it's very, very crucial that whoever the nominee is on the Democrat side facing Donald Trump doesn't try to out-Trump Trump. But yes. Because, you know, you get bombastic, bombastic, you get divisive, you you do the same thing that President Trump is accused of doing and sometimes does to rev up his base. You get that... I don't know how to how to say this, but you try and play on the same stage and play the same game with Donald Trump, you're going to lose because he's great. Yeah, he's great at it. Because you know why he's great at it? because it's, that's who he is. Well, yeah. Like him or not, that's who he is. You, you want to talk uh, about authenticity? Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's why, uh, like, that's why he has a following. He has. That's why he got voted into the White House is uh, because there's an authenticity there. And again. 2016 turned the political world upside down and changed it forever, or at least changed it for the next uh, foreseeable future. And if the Democrats, I reiterate, like if the Democrats are going to try the same playbook again, I just don't think it's going to work. When you start talking about talking points and, you know, being from one of the, and I'm not saying that, Someone can't emerge who is in California well, or they need, on the they coast. Need, that yeah, can they, be a little, I mean, right. Joe Biden's from Delaware. He's a sure. coastal guy, but yeah, I, I he's not a coastal elitist type. Uh, if, they need to come you know, up with a platform. You know what I mean. They need to come up with a platform of policies yes. that appeal to average Americans <laughs> instead of talking points or I'm not Donald Trump, you know? Well, you know, and again, it's funny because you were mentioning some of the names, and I, I saw, you know, there's another name, Andrew Yang, a total long shot candidate who's one of the 11 right now, uh, a former tech uh, executive out yeah. of New York City. Well, one of his policies is that uh, to create a economic plan that would pay every American a thousand dollars a month. Um, who I, I, I didn't, I couldn't tell if it's every American who doesn't have a job or uh, if that's also people who have a job. Where do, where but there's they... no, like he has no plan on how to pay no, for that. No, exactly. Like, and and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says, we'll pay for this by just letting the Federal Reserve print more money. <laughs> how'd, how'd that work out for Weimar Republic Germany? How'd that work out for Venezuela? You know, how'd that work for all these socialist countries? Right. Jason, I, I appreciate your time. My time no, is thank up. thank you. i got a break for news. Thanks and, for your time. And, and we will talk again soon, I hope. Thanks, Gary, Jeff. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You bet. News now at 700 WL. Hello. 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 <laughs> Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Don't fall, you bonehead. <laughs> oh, right, guy. Segman, before you had the nickname Seg and you were Bill Dennison in school, what did they call you? What was your nickname? You, do you remember having a nickname? 
in school? Yeah, it's been too long ago. You? Uh, yeah, I did. I don't know if I can talk about it or not. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I'm playing junior high basketball, right? Yes, sir. And I'm sitting they didn't in... They call you airball, did they? No. Oh. And... Dun- Gary, Jeff, Duncan. I was sitting... The girls would play first, and right. then the boys would play. Okay. And you sat in the stands till about the middle way through the third quarter, and then you go dress out for your game. All right. So I was sitting in the stands with my girlfriend, my first real girlfriend, and and we're just kind of cuddling up, canoodling in the stands. And as any 14, 15-year-old boy will tell you, you get a little excited. I got a little excited. So I go to the locker room to go dress out. And I'm down to my underwear, my skivvies, getting ready to put my... And you could physically, you could visibly tell I was excited by sitting in the stands with my girlfriend. And another teammate comes in, and he thought something else was going on because I was visibly excited through my underwear. He runs out of the room laughing. For the next year and a half, I walked the halls. They called me sperm worm. I had to deal with that up until my junior year in high school. So I guess... When all those kids graduated and you got a new group in, had no idea. I actually, at my 30th high school school reunion, a couple of guys who were part of, you know, bullying me and shaming me with that, came up to me 30 years later and apologized. I said, I forgot about it a long time ago. Don't worry about it. Obviously, I didn't forget about it because I'm relating the story to you. But I, I got over, you know, the shaming of people yelling this right. at me in right. the halls. It's terrible. It's terrible. I love Deepak Chopra. They called me Deek. Deepak Chopra. No so, ands, ifs, or buts. I'd like cocaine. No ands, ifs, or buts. Uh, Dateline, Vero Beach, Florida, segment. Ooh. Yes, One Samantha Jewel Hernandez, age 21. There's a picture of her here in the Smoking Gun site. And not unattractive young girl. Uh, police were responding early this morning after a disturbance call at an apartment. And they encountered Miss Hernandez without her clothes on and in a bad mood. She denied doing anything to her fiancé, but was too intoxicated to provide further information. The victim, also age 21, told police that Hernandez wanted to engage him in sexual intercourse. When he declined, Hernandez was angry at the fact that he did not want to have sex and began attacking him, striking him in the face and ripping his shirt. Cops noted that the man had scratches on his face and neck and was wearing a torn shirt. Hernandez then arrested on a misdemeanor battery charge based on her boyfriend's statements and injuries observed on the scene. What I want to know, how come this isn't attempted rape or attempted sexual assault? Because if it had been the other way around and the boyfriend had been called and was sitting there and the woman had scratches on her face. I don't care. It'd be much more than misdemeanor domestic battery. That's for sure. Wouldn't it? I mean, I would say so. An unfair playing field is what we're we're dealing with here. Just like a 20-second pitch clock. Uh, Gary Jeff, the uh, Stooge reporter. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is a proud service of your local Tempstar. Heating and air conditioning dealers. Tempstar. Tempstar. Quality you can feel in beautiful southeastern Indiana. Call Joe Eckstein at Eckstein Heating and Cooling at 812-932-2026. Sports! Those uh, UC Bearcats are uh, ranked a 25th. Oh, they made it up to the, they made it uh, to the U- top 25. Well, USA Today coaches poll. All right. Uh, in the AP poll, the Bearcats are 26th. So they're so right they're on the precipice just outside the other. of national greatness uh, on Duke their is, way to the Final Four. Duke is uh, back to number one. Gonzaga, Virginia, Kentucky moved up only a spot after their thumping at Tennessee, but the Volunteers dropped four spots to fifth. Uh, Purdue is 15th. Louisville is 18th. How is uh, Purdue? Are they good? And thank you, Bearcats. Thank you. 18 and 7. Oh, not bad. Doing better in Ohio State. UC's 18 and 8. Knock on um, the Let's see. Uh, get more tonight on the Mick Cronin Show, live from the Montgomery and Boathouse at 8.05. Right here on 700 WLW. Get the latest on NKU basketball tonight. Norse Nation Show at 7.55 KRC. Reds are holding their first full squad workout today in uh, Goodyear, Arizona. Getting ready for that uh, Grapefruit League, or the, oops, the Cactus League opener. Yeah, wait a minute. We're not in Sarasota uh, anymore. the Indians this Saturday. We're not in Plant City. Uh, pitch clocks. Yeah, you mentioned utilized. Those. And spring training games, they're going to start them up. But not during regular seconds. season. Not during regular well, season. who knows? This is an See experiment. Who knows? You never know what the commissioner is going to do. What was your favorite part of the Daytona 500 yesterday? Was it the Rex? Do NASCAR fans still love Rex? Well, you got to expect I mean, hockey fans, that, hockey ex- fans go to games to see fights. Well, you so. got to expect Rex at the end because, uh, you know, you've got teammates, but... It's every man for himself with, you know, under under 10 to go, so. Yeah. Or five to go, so that's what happened yesterday. But that was horrific. Well, you knew it was, it was coming. It, it didn't happen at the, you know, three quarters of the way through, and you're thinking, well, with ten to with uh, nine to go, they had 18 out. With five to go, it was seven. Then they had another one that forced overtime, and then overtime, it's like, you know what? It's all you-know-what breaking loose. Are there as many wrecks in the Xfinity Series races or in the truck races as they are? Truck the- race only had nine trucks left at the end. No kidding. Yeah, Friday night. Xfinity, I think, did all right, uh, did all right Saturday. They did, they, but uh, trucks had only nine uh, tru- out of 40. Mm-hmm. So a lot of bent-up uh, sheet metal and a lot of money wrecked. Do you have a favorite driver right three now? Days. Do you have a favorite driver right now on the... NASCAR circuit. Uh, Come on, go out on a limb, say. No, I li- one See, to ninety nine. They're all friends of mine. I can never peg you down on questions like this. My wife absolutely, still to this day, hates Jeff Gordon, and I've never understood. <laughs> I've never. Well, understood. I didn't like him after. I didn't like him years ago, but now it's like you know the guy's a Hall of Famer. He's on TV. How many how many championships he win? Uh, Jeff Gordon, six, seven, eight. No, no, he didn't know. Four? Because the only five. seven guys are Petty, Earnhardt, and Johnson. And Jimmy Johnson, so, who's still racing, which amazes yeah. me. Well, Jimmy Johnson's going, still racing. Jeff Gordon is not. Well, you know. But she, I think she saw, as many NASCAR fans did, Jeff Gordon as some snot-nosed kid who had every break. And, and then there were people who said he was gay. That whole time, which there was no proof or evidence. There no. is much proof that Jeff Gordon is gay as Donald Trump colluding with the Russians to win the 2016 election. Zero. Also, Gary Jeff and the soccer news today, FC Cincinnati. 
will face the University of Cincinnati men's soccer team in a preseason friendly match. Nippert Stadium, 7 o'clock on Tuesday, March 5th. So fans will have an opportunity to get their first uh, local glimpse of the orange and blue in the Queen City before they play their first ever MLS game in Cincinnati 12 days later. And it's free and open to the public. Well, it should March be. March the 5th. I mean, it's like, that's like the Bengals lining up against Moeller or something. I mean, these are professional soccer players playing these kids in college. That's big, though. Oh, it's huge. I'm not, nice. not saying it's not big. I'm just saying, really, is, is that a whole lot of competition for an MLS club? They're doing their best to uh, rock and roll with the public. Absolutely. Nippert Stadium is going to be rocking again. Yes, sir. I don't know why they didn't leave the stadium there. Seem to work pretty well. Could save him some money. Save him a whole hell of a lot of money. And more improvements to Nippert Stadium would be great for UC. That's for sure. And the drinks would be cheaper. <laughs> Most <laughs> right? likely. Yeah, no doubt. The tickets would be cheaper, the drinks would be cheaper, and we wouldn't have city council. Dollar hot dogs? We wouldn't have city council doing this uh, this tay-to-tay with uh, the symphony and the ballet and music hall and and bakeries and restaurants. What I'm waiting for is who's next. Who's next? Oh, to step up to the plate, and complain about the West End Stadium. Correct. As long as there's somebody's out as there long somewhere. as somebody still thinks that they can graft some money off of FC Cincinnati or out of the situation, believe me, they will step up to the plate. It'll, they'll be ready to sign after the that goes to the zoning and planning after the council's passed it on for the final time. There'll be somebody at the last minute standing there with their hand out, going, "Hey." FC Cincinnati is robbing me. I'm sure they will. So that's Seg, about it. Seg, any, uh, anything else on this President's Day? Are we out of it? Yes. All right. Go ahead. Get us out of the stooge report, Seg. Gary Jeff, in honor of a cold and overcast day here in the Tri-State on this President's Day. And uh, sales must be going pretty good because uh, KTC is packed. Yeah, it is. We uh, leave you with the immortal words of the Stooge Report. And along those lines, by the way, I hope all of you are washing your hands a lot. That's always important. That's for sure. (laughs) The ecologist-in-chief, Mr. Obama. Yes, sir. President's Day. Seg, thank you. 700 WLW. Dancing through a President's Day afternoon on the big one, 700 WLW. Gary Jeff in for Willie, the Bill Cunningham Show. Cincinnati Streetcar, you're stuck with it, right? Laid all the tracks, nobody's riding it. All the things that are coming true of people who were in opposition to the trolley to nowhere are coming true. But Cincinnati's not alone in this. It's nice to know you have company when you're wrong about a major multi-million dollar project in the middle of your city. Albuquerque's $133 million electric bus trolley system, a total failure, two years, leaving large debt for the next three generations to pay. The politicians nowhere to be found. Sound familiar? Where's Mark Mallory? Where's Milton Dahoney? Where are the people that push this idea of a, a streetcar that goes basically from over the Rhine and Finley Market to the banks. Shortly after being elected in 2017, the mayor of Albuquerque, Tim Keller, stood on one of the big passenger platforms for art. Uh, The city's new ambitious all-electric trolley bus line. 
cuts through a 10-mile stretch, so it's a little bit larger than the streetcar. It actually goes more places than the Cincinnati streetcar, the connector. Drivers cheered and waved, congrats to the new mayor. I voted for you. Go get them. And the next breath, they'd lay on the horn and give the giant ART sign the middle finger out the car window. The leaders in Albuquerque, New Mexico, had originally pitched, uh, pitched the Albuquerque Rapid Transit as a way to revitalize the city's former stretch of Route 66. Now, Route 66 went by the way of history because of the interstate system. We all know about that. And, and entire towns and businesses and stretches were left dormant. <clears throat> they thought they'd, they'd revitalize their stretch of Route 66, get your kicks on Route 66, and make the community a national leader in sustainable mass transit. How many times have we heard that out of the mouths of literally babes, <laughs> the Green New Deal and the, and the rest? Instead, the art project resulted in parts of what's now called Central Avenue being ripped up to host dedicated lanes for the electronic, uh, the electric trolley buses, which, by the way, are currently out of commission and have so many problems that the mayor, who was cheered by people standing on the platform, he, he even calls them a bit of a lemon. $133 million, and you get nothing out of it. So that's more of a, that's a whole, like, lemon plantation. Art was supposed to supplement Albuquerque's regular bus system, again, sound familiar, uh, by the fall of 2017 with a fleet of 20 buses. But the mayor put the brakes on the project in January, barely a month after the debut. Now, they've built all these stations these, these wonderful trolley stations along the line, there's nothing going on there. Vandals, criminals have smashed the ticket dispensers. At least they had ticket dispensers. Flat screen TVs meant to let passengers know about boarding times have been flashing a request to get rebooted. Cars can't use the bus lanes, which aren't being used right now because the whole system's down. Cyclists have claimed their, their, their presence as, as their own, the bus lanes, which aren't being used. Librarian at the University of New Mexico says it's a nightmare with nothing to show for it. At the station near campus, students regularly set up easels to draw in the middle of the unused lanes. The mayor appears to be trying to be accountable. Besides scrapping the trolley buses, the city has sued their manufacturer, a Chinese company, by the way which has received over $330 million in the last decade from public agencies, including L.A.'s Metro, to produce battery-powered buses and other vehicles. The suit alleges breach of contract delivery of faulty vehicles. The city has ordered 20 clean diesel replacements from another company. They won't be ready for another year and a half. So, again, this was supposed to be the shining example to the rest of the country, like Portland's, Portland's trolley, which we based our system on in Cincinnati which now is a basically a conduit for criminals in the Pacific Northwest city of Portland, Oregon. Another example, we want to be clean and green. We want sustainable mass transit. And yet when it doesn't work, everybody tries, they, they scatter like roaches with the lights turned on. A local restaurant owner said, I don't know anyone who's for it adding that business had plummeted by nearly 40% since, since Central Avenue was constructed to make way for these stations and dedicated bus line. So it's not revitalizing any neighborhood. 
it's costing the taxpayers of Albuquerque, New Mexico, at least hundreds of millions of dollars to this point. It's non-functioning. It's, you know, at least the connector is still running in Cincinnati. But how long before it's been recognized as what it is? A total bust from the very beginning. A total waste of money. Sought out and pushed by politicians who wanted to show that Cincinnati was progressive by going to a mode of transportation that was popular a century ago. Everything old is new again when it comes to government wasting money on mass transit. And what about the high-speed rail? You know, the the high-speed bullet train that was going to take passengers from L.A. to San Francisco. Just like that. And they've given that up now. But there's no mention of them giving the government, the federal government, which denoted all these dollars for this high-speed bullet train from L.A. to San Fran, uh, there's no talk of them giving back the money, the state of California. In fact, the new governor, Gavin Newsom, said, no, we're not giving this money back. And 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 this high-speed rail, this bullet train isn't a bust. Why'd you discontinue the, prob- the, the, the project, moron? Well, uh, Eddie and Rocky still off today. Sean Kelly and Rachel will be in. Meet and Kelly. Isn't that a great name for a show? Um, meet and Rachel. So anyway, uh, they're going to be talking about among other, uh, among other things, deer zombies. I don't know anything about deer zombies, Matt. What can you tell me so I can let the listeners know what to expect about deer zombies? Is this a real thing? And where is this occurring? Do we know locally deer zombies? So these are undead deer. I mean, how how do you kill a deer? Do you do you shoot the deer zombie in the head? Do you have to rip its heart out while it's still beating? And what is the danger posed by deer zombies to humans? I think these are all pertinent, relevant questions. So they'll get into that, which is, uh, I mean, a fantastic topic. I never would have thought of deer zombies. But I'm on it. And I hope you will be, too. Back in for Willie tomorrow at noon. And I don't have the full guest list yet, but uh, you can always chime in at 513-749-7000 or 1-800-843-2441 to participate in program. We love when that happens. Until then, Gary Jeff saying sayonara. News next, 700 WLW. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.